Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 88 movies, one cage. This is episode 93, 211 from 2018. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, a very special guest. You might know him. So here's what happened. So a couple, uh, two months ago, roughly, there was an article on 538.com called The Five Types of Nicolas Cage Movies. And I thought to myself, I know 538 is like, very statistically focused, and it's, you know, very smart people over there, but I first heard that headline, and I was like, this is some guy trying to put Nicolas Cage in a box, because, Mike, <laughs> we have went through the first run of 72 movies, and I was like, there's no way you can simplify it mm-hmm. into five types. Like, he can do everything. Yep. And mm-hmm. I was like, this seems like a gross oversimplification, but let me read it. And then I read it, and I was in love with it. I bl- was blown away by this article. <laughs> and so we reached out to the author, Mr. Walt Hickey, on Twitter, and it feels like by the time I hit tweet, he had replied, replied and said, yes, I would love to do it. So we brought in Walt Hickey to talk about what might be the worst Nicolas Cage movie that has ever been made to 11. Hello, Walt. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And you are right. The moment that I saw that, I slammed the reply button. I was like, I will be on your goddamn podcast immediately. (laughs) No, I was, uh, this is so fun. I love this project that you guys do. It's so nice to meet someone else who is like just captivated by this man. And I'm really delighted to have a chance to talk about this particular picture. (laughs) Absolutely. And what we found... Uh, aside from just, you know, a love of Cage, a deeper love of Cage than we ever thought was possible, is we found the four or five other people who love Nicolas Cage the way that we do. (laughs) And we've all invited them on. We've all, like, we're, like, probably, like, four or five of the maybe 100 people in the world who have seen every one of his movies. (laughs) And we know how to talk about them. If nothing else, it has created this, like, weird little social network of friendships that have all seen... Time to Kill and 211. Like, <laughs> that should never be seen by anybody, yeah, the runner. but have been seen by all of us. Yeah, it's crazy. There's like an unspoken bond just knowing <laughs> that we've been through it all. <laughs> I am personally delighted to join whatever Avengers-esque thing that you guys have. Folks who with special talents who love to... I'm your Hawkeye. I'm here. The last person added we're in. Like. It's it's wonderful. And I was looking through, and we were talking before uh, we started that you're not, you're not with 538 anymore, but on 538.com, there is an entire series of posts that yeah. were all by you. You did yep. all of the Hollywood taxonomies, right? Am I right? I was the culture desk at 538, yeah. So, again, it, Wonderful. You, you, like, you're no, like, it's not um, accidental that this was the last article that I really put out. This was like, oh, I know that I'm leaving. I'm going to write the, the fucking Hollywood taxonomy that I have been waiting to write for three years. And this so is like you, dropping the mic on This the is the out. mic drop. Yeah, exactly. Like, I realized that there's a strong chance that this is, the, this is my article that I would go out on on this very long recurring uh, franchise which we can talk more about. There's a reason that I went with Cage, because, no, it was time. (laughs) And your five breakdowns... So you have a national treasure, which are sort of... I guess, how about this? So for people who haven't read the article, you should read the article. We posted it as soon as it was posted. But can I quickly read the five different categories? You can give sort of like a a couple sentence synopsis of like what kind of movies those are. Yeah, so the crux of these brand of stories is that we plot out these movies of of an actor's career, uh, whether it's, again, Vin Diesel or Sandra Bullock or Meryl Streep or Nicolas Cage, and we plot a domestic box office against Rotten Tomatoes score. So it's a plot, basically, of of clusters of movies that are similar in either domestic box office scope or, or, or in, like, really good reviews or 
are really bad reviews. And so that's kind of the crux of our approach. But yeah, go on. Let's go through the let's go through the five. So I guess starting from the bottom and working our way up, we have the recession, yes. which is what appears to be on the scale the worst of the worst. It's all the movies that made zero dollars or effectively zero dollars. Now there's a broad range of them. All of them are below fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Most of them are below twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but all of these movies have the commonality that essentially they were direct to VOD plays, or maybe if they did get a release, it was it was a European release and they didn't hit uh, domestic theaters. Now, one thing that we've noticed, and maybe I want I want to see if you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Some of his earlier direct to VOD movies kind of great yes. like in a in a very watchable way like movies like Seeking Justice and Stolen mm-hmm. Mike and I both really really like and they're movies that people sort of dismiss as you know the straight to Netflix or straight to VOD garbage but like they're kind of really fun movies do you do you think that there's is there value in these the recession movies yes there's absolutely value in these uh, I even think that Looking Glass was decent like I think yeah. that you can, we enjoyed Looking yeah. Glass yeah we did um, yeah. I like these because they're very much like you can tell that even if it was a low budget movie Nick Cage was about 95% of the budget you can kind of get a stronger <laughs> sense for the choices that he makes as a performer um, I think mm-hmm. that sometimes this really works like like The Runner I actually kind of enjoyed a lot uh, I, I thought that that was a pretty interesting one and sometimes it doesn't always work like I think that Army of One has a few problems with it maybe he made a choice or two that weren't the ones that I would have made <laughs> maybe <laughs> I actually really love that as like a recent yeah, we, one we, that's sort of a big yeah. fans of Army a favorite but I can understand definitely <laughs> it's, it's definitely a bold one. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that in general, you can kind of get a sense for who he is and like the big kind of crux of the piece. Because again, obviously I went into it because Nick Cage is is just a fascinating figure. I think that he spanned an entire era of cinema. I think that in in recent years, he's made some movies that are pretty deep problems. But I think that the whole idea is that like these movies are... It's the equivalent of, like, Chris Evans going to Broadway to try out uh, to do a play kind of thing. You can kind of yeah. see an mm-hmm. actor, like, work in a smaller space and, I think, benefit from that. So that's the first category, the recession. I talked about it when we did the episode for The Trust, but I saw The Trust down at South by Southwest when I had the world premiere, and the directors were both there, and Cage wasn't there. I think he was sick or he got hurt or something. He couldn't make it. But they were saying, you know, for as young filmmakers, and this is exactly what you're saying, like, you can get distribution of your movie if Nicolas Cage is in it, but he's going to eat up your entire budget. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's this weird sort of balancing act that, like, it gives him this opportunity to play and try something else new, but it's in these movies that also don't get seen by people because all the money goes to him and not anywhere else. So it's like this weird balancing act, and I think there is value in that, especially when there's a movie like The Trust, which is again, sort of has its problems, but is all overall, I think, better than it's not. We're going to see that later when we talk about 211, because, like, this entire movie was shot in, like, Bulgaria for a reason. Yep. Like, but anyway, <laughs> go on. So the one, I guess, sort of step up from that would be the Not the Bees section, yes. which looks like has a little bit more box office success, but again, not reviewed super well. Yeah, these are the ones that critics didn't like. And again, so many of these I will I will stand and defend. I think that 8mm is a good movie. I think that Amos and Andrew yeah. actually got better with time. <laughs> Mm. No, <laughs> I don't know. I think that, um, like, like clearly it's going for something interesting there, but I think that, like, I think that Sam Jackson's doing interesting work in that movie. I think that, like, even if the concept at its core isn't great, I think, the, like, commentation about, like, no, even in these, like, kind of, like, urbane areas, sometimes you will see, like, this kind of entrenched uh, racism that kind of goes on. Like, I yep. think that, yeah, like, yeah. like, that movie was, I think, a little bit ahead of its time for all that it was behind its time. <laughs> but, like, even <laughs> knowing is enjoyable. Like, like, I think that, like, in this oh, kind of... Oh, I love knowing. Yeah, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> yeah, it's almost like lost the movie to us, I think. <laughs> yes. Critics turned on him after Wicker Man, because I think that after Wicker Man, you can see 
watching a whole batch of movies in this category. Like you got Next, you've got Bangkok Dangerous, Knowing, Astro Boy, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Seasons of the Witch, which is great. Drive Angry, <laughs> Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, and then Left Behind. And I think that like those movies are not as bad as I think the critics kind of made them out to be. Right. But yeah. like so these are movies just essentially like I mean like you have honest bona fide mediocre movies in this category. You got Firebirds, which is just a very obvious Top Gun ripoff, right? Um, <laughs> but it is the greatest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's Top Gun, but what helicopters? Um, like it's it's good. Like I think it's very fun to kind of look at these and be like, why did this movie fail? Why did critics not like it that much? Why did it? I, but a lot of these, again, they they're these aren't movies intended to like start a franchise and make a billion dollars. They're smaller, more interesting movies that I, I think got a little bit further off the ground than the ones that were really direct to VOD. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting just about like these categories that we've been talking about so far is just the the range of these types of movies, the types of genre, his types of performance. Like it just he seems to have just a little more room to play in the movies that aren't as successful. I mm-hmm. guess they end up not being as successful, but I, I like them because of what he's doing and what he's it gives him room to attempt stuff that he might not have the time or other people's patience for in like a major Hollywood blockbuster film but but something smaller then he can take bigger risks maybe 100% yeah then we have I guess this is where the the chart splits into two directions mm-hmm. we have the ones that still didn't make a ton of money but were better reviewed and that's the kick-ass category yeah so when you're talking about this category you're talking about a lot of movies that uh, these are the ones you kind of recognize him from these are the ones that you're just like again like a really good example that is kick-ass like that's a it's a solid superhero movie not obviously based off of Marvel or DC but it's a it's a good reliable movie uh, if you think about Lord of War if you think about the weatherman if you think about world Trade Center, all these different kind of movies, like The Frozen Ground, great movie. Like I think that in general, <laughs> in Cusack, yeah. These are also movies that like uh, Wild at Heart, like the movie that he made with uh, David Lynch and Laura Dern, like yep, Honeymoon my favorite Cage movie. Like I think in general that these are the movies that are like these are not intended to be enormous movies. These are intended to be small dram- dramas. They're well ta- they're, like they're well done. Oftentimes he collaborated with an interesting person on them. And, and I was just like these were the delights. Like I loved watching these movies when I was watching all these goddamn movies because these were like real treats. These were out of nowhere surprises like, "Oh wow, that was a really fun one." Except the ant bully. <laughs> <laughs> We noticed that when we were doing the animated movies for Cage, that there were some that were fun. Mm-hmm. And basically, if he puts on a voice, it can be fun. Yeah. And then there's ones like the ant bully, where it's just nothing, and it's just like, oh no. Mm-hmm. He, he plays a wizard who's also an ant, and that's and then he's kind of mad at a child the whole time. I don't know. It's a fun <laughs> yeah. one. It's a choice. It's not a, like it's an interesting one. But like, I think that these movies are actually what cements his reputation. I mean, like, if we're being honest with ourselves, like. Cage was an A-lister coming out of like, like the idea is like he was opening movies and, and I think that his decision to make little weird ones like these sometimes were the choices that kind of maybe like led to movies that didn't do as well like the difference between this category and the previous two is a roll of the dice and you can't do it every time I think that my favorite in this one might actually be guarding Tess which is the really fun one about the <laughs> so that's, what's amazing an interesting is choice. that you have the same level of passion about Nicolas Cage that we do and our tastes almost could not be more different. Oh my god, that's wonderful. I, I mean, like, that's great. Like, I think mm-hmm. that... It is great. I love that about it, yeah. 
this It's one. really fun. <laughs> so then we have two more. So I guess the, I'll go next to the Nouveau Shamanic, which is, of course, uh, what Cage calls his acting style. These look like the, the overall best-reviewed ones, but not necessarily the biggest of blockbusters, yeah. even though Face Off is in here. Was Face Off... Is, did Face Off almost make it into the fifth category, which, which we haven't talked about, or is that always yep. going to be in this one? Face Off could totally go in the other one. I was really going back and forth, and I think that the line that we drew here was that these are the movies that did better than 75% or higher on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. And, like, Face Off, you can talk about that. Like, that, I think, I mean, I'm sure that you guys have gone real deep in on Face Off, but that's, like, sure. the, that's the bona fide hit. That's the one that is, like, both a, a structurally very terrific movie, well-reviewed, but also it, it made a lot of money for, for when yeah. it came mm-hmm. out. And so I think that, like, this category in general, general is the ones that are just like no these are the these these are the reasons that Nicolas Cage has Oscar like like that that's there's a reason for why that happened yes. and i think that like if you're talking about face off obviously but like moonstruck he is just delightful and he's hot yep, in that yeah. movie he's like he he's like just he's sexy in that movie and it's just like he that's a movie star role and, and like and then you look at like leaving las vegas at the at the oscar and then you look at adaptation like the nominee like mm-hmm. there's a reason that this guy people sometimes forget that he is nick coppola like the idea is that like this man yep. is a Hollywood institution in so many ways, and one reason for that is he is actually a really terrific actor. Yeah, you don't need to tell us that we <laughs> we know, but uh, it is it is important. Yeah, like my favorite thing to do every once in a while on a, on a night where I'm super bored is just to go on Twitter and just search for Nicolas Cage and just see because he's such a punchline. That's sort of why we started this podcast, which I imagine might be some kind of inspiration for why you wrote this piece. Yeah. People know him and quote-unquote love him, but it's for the wrong reasons. And so we're like, can he actually act? Which is why we also followed him up with Keanu Reeves, because in the same way, he's beloved by the internet, but it's also the sort of same thing where it's just like, can he actually act, or is he just in a handful of like really cool movies? And I think with Cage, it was definitively like, yes, he's a terrific actor. Yeah. Aside from a very few select movies, most of which have been recent, he's almost always giving the movie his all. He's almost always the best part of every movie. And even though the movie's not great, he's great in them. Keanu is a little bit of a different story where sometimes he just straight up does not fit into things. Uh, he's not always great in movies. Things like, so anyway, I like going on Twitter and just searching for Nicolas Cage because people love using him as the butt of jokes and then just saying, hey, you might be wrong about this, and just linking to our podcast. And almost unanimously, people are like, no, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. You would be surprised, I think. So, like, I think a great example of, like, what I kind of realized over the course of this is that Nick Cage has never really phoned in a movie. Yeah. A lot of the times when people see a scene, like, I mean, the, the iconic one is the Wicker Man scene, right? Where, not the bees, like, he's he's in that, mm-hmm. um, he's being tortured with bees. And so, on one hand, like, yes, no, if you clip that out, that is a ridiculous scene. But the yes. reason it's ridiculous is not because he's freaking out. He is actually giving a pretty honest-to-God decent read of what would happen to a California highway patrolman who was taken to an island full of weird <laughs> cults and then tortured with bees, the one thing that he's allergic to, around an insane cult, and then burned to death. That's a pretty honest-to-God read. The thing that's dissonant about that scene that I realized is that nobody else in the scene is doing anything. They're just kind of stand yes. like, like He's out of place, and that's not a Cage problem. That's a direction problem. Yeah. So often, I think the the issue that Cage has in movies is that he's dissonant, but not, because people aren't meeting where he's playing. You know. Yeah. That's interesting that you mentioned that about Wicker Man in particular, because Joey yeah. and I mentioned this quite often. Every time that movie's brought up, is that like he 
is in a completely different movie than the rest of that cast. Yes, and, but what we had heard, we don't know if it's true or not, is that he and the director, Neil LeBute, were like, we want to make a black comedy. And everybody else was like, no, we're playing this by the book. And there was some kind of, I mean, that's obviously a director problem, just like you're saying, yeah. that he couldn't get everybody on the same page. But it feels like Cage is making the movie the director wants to make. It's just that nobody else is in that same movie, and that's a problem. But you're right, like it's, he's not bad by choice it's just not jiving with the world around him like can you imagine like just to take out like a very popular movie series right now but like i recently rewatched thor ragnarok like can you imagine that movie if thor was being like the charming bro of thor 3 but everybody else was still acting like they were in thor 2 Right, in like they right. were just giving yeah. a cold Shakespearean read. It, it it works when it's emotionally like rather when it's tonally resonant in the rest of the movie. Like Brannock wanted uh, in Thor one to be like, oh, this is just I want you to be hammy. This is Shakespeare and brother, and like that's what everybody was on the same page for. But if like Thor three did that like turn and they, they had a comedic edge and only the star was in it, you'd say, what the hell is Hemsworth doing? And right. I don't know. I think generally speaking, that's where that's the difference between these movies where everybody's clicking. Moonstruck, everybody's on it, right? Like he's yep. manic, he's intense, he's incredible. Like, but like Cher meets him exactly where he is, and, mm-hmm. and everybody's on fire in that movie. And, and I think that the difference between this batch and some of the other ones is a lot of the time he's not being let down by the folks around him, and he's still right. giving 110. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And then last but not least, we have the most financially successful movies he's ever been in. We have the ones where it's the category A National Treasure. Yeah. Um, again, so we can just go through these. These are Everybody has seen these movies. If they yep. haven't seen them, they've been playing in the background of a bar with the sound off, and you've kind of watched them occur. You're talking about The Rock. You're talking about Con Air. City of Angels, Gone in 60 Seconds, the National Treasure movies, both of them, Ghost Rider, The Croods, and G-Force, which is a weird one. Uh, um, yeah, I'm down with G-Force. G-Force. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. In this category, the thing that I found so fascinating about Cage is that, like, I pulled the top 100 grossing lead actors, right? Starting to drop, this is my yeah. favorite part about this whole write-up. I love this. Yeah, this is my favorite thing, because, like, this is, like, what helped me kind of understand why Cage is so different than everybody else. Because the idea is that if you pull the top 100 grossing actors, right? First of all, Cage is in the most movies uh, of any of these lead actors. Robert De Niro, who has a 10-year head start on him, has 69 starring roles. Cage has 72 at the time that I wrote this. So by now, 73, maybe 74, depending Mm -hmm. on whether Mandy came out. The idea is like, if you just look at output alone, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. But here's the really interesting thing, which is if you look at the top 25 highest grossing lead actors by domestic box office of all time, and you look at essentially the percentage of the movies that they were in that are sequels. You can see, again, we were having a great conversation before uh, off mic about like Vin Diesel. And, yeah. and like, so Vin Diesel, 42% of his movies have been sequels because he's in the Riddick franchise. <laughs> he's in Guardians and the, and the Avengers movies. He's in especially Fast and Furious, obviously. So a large yeah. percentage of his body of work is in sequels, which is just his brand. You can look at other folks like Emma Watson, Daniel Radcliffe. They obviously were in seven pretty notorious sequels. That's going to be a yep. lot of their output. Right, mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence does a ton of franchise work, whether it's the X-Men stuff. Dwayne Johnson does a ton of... Actually, he's interesting because he's oftentimes in the sequel, but not in the first one. So like Journey <laughs> to the Mysterious Island. Yeah, he just makes it bigger. Exactly. He just shows up. <laughs> but if you look at these, these group, this group of people, you see a lot of people who have a lot of their careers spent in sequels. Nicolas Cage has been in two sequels. 
right? Yeah. Three yeah. percent of his movies are sequels. He's above Robin Williams, De Niro, Sandler, Tom Hanks. Those are the other folks who don't do a lot of sequels. Out of the top twenty-five grossing lead actors, he just doesn't do sequels. He's taken new and interesting work. If you look at the people who are doing original screenplays, he's up there. If you look at the like the the list of people who are only doing work that isn't adapted from another source, he's one of the most popular and highest grossing folks. I think that he's fascinating because he doesn't really have a franchise. He doesn't really need to marinate in a space. And part of that, I think, is why his like finances or whatever, he's a little bit less stable, it seems, than some of the other folks who don't have that consistent money coming in. But if you look at what he's done, like, I mean, obviously the Croods 2 is coming up, but he has only been in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance and National Treasure Book of Secrets. And that's yep. it. It's yeah. nuts yeah. to me. That is. That is pretty crazy. That's my blowing actually. But I mean, it's awesome. I mean, like, we, we've, I yeah, think we've it's awesome. heard that, though, because, like, he's been asked, and I don't remember exactly, but, like, I think it's, like, True Detective or something. They're like, no, it was American would Gods. you want to do a TV show, right? Oh, it was American Gods. Yeah, he was asked They're like, that. would you want to do a TV show? He's just like, no, I would get bored being in one place for too long. I think that's probably why this, like, wouldn't do sequels. He was saying um, he doesn't like to stay in one character for too long. Like, he doesn't, yep. he likes to switch around and get into new people discover new new things yeah he doesn't want to play the same character and get tired doing that i that's it that's great like we need more people like that and i think that's yeah. why he takes you know that's a, a, a byproduct of that is all those chances that he's taking because he's just trying to find new and interesting things for us to watch as well yes yeah. like it's just it's it's new newness new stuff and i love that about him it's a great mantra. Every once in a while, you'll find a new movie like 211, and it's like, well, <laughs> just go back and do a sequel to any other movie. Th- this is like the consequence of having four movies out within six months of 2018. You know, it's, it's we want an amazing pace. <laughs> it's too much, I think, though. Like, pump the brakes. We need quality over quantity at this point let's just <laughs> cool it a minute i was excited now i'm scared yes <laughs> to pump our own brakes for a second here before we sure, talk sure. about 211 because i'm still not i don't think i'm mentally ready to talk about this movie yet what what is your favorite do you have a favorite nicholas cage movie oh do i have a favorite i mean like uh moonstruck really resonated okay. with me so my boyfriend has this podcast not her again that i frequently guest on that involved looking at all the years that meryl streep lost an oscar and so i had never seen moonstruck before that as part of that entire project i watched like 17 years years worth of Oscar movies and <laughs> cool. the one that like I just loved that I was just like I had I had so little expectations going into it but this movie just really resonated with me was absolutely Moonstruck I think that he is wonderful and I think he's beautiful I think like he like sells it perfectly I think that he's perfectly cast I think that his frenetic energy is weaponized in that movie to something just totally out of this world I just love that and then I would say that since that's like a very good movie I will go for a movie that isn't held in such high regard and I would have to say I enjoyed knowing I, I did I thought that it was silly but but I actually had a very good time watching it, and I was, like, puzzled, but also I had a very good time. Well, that one is interesting, because that is Alex Proyas, who I have a yep. very shaky film relationship with <laughs> his films, you know, um, ever since, like, Dark City up until now. But that one really surprised me, too, because I was kind of expecting it to border more on the VOD sort of line of quality, but I feel yep. like the effects are great for the most part the mystery is intriguing and um, by the end I'm just all with it so it's a very nihilistic ending you have to admire any movie that kills 100% of the people on earth (laughs) except for the ones that aliens rescue like that is just a movie that is not afraid to go there and that's uh, a very admirable choice so I I really do appreciate both of your picks those are very 
very good picks. It's rare that a movie makes a bigger choice than Nick Cage did. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we caught up on the Nicolas Cage movies a couple years ago, and then we've been doing them as they come out, like the new releases. Mm-hmm. But just to sort of keep this podcast feed alive, every two weeks we release a revisited episode where Mike and I go back and sort of do like a director's commentary and just talk about whatever while we're watching the movie. And so we did <laughs> Moonstruck about two months ago, and I was just like, why don't I ever remember how perfect this movie is? Like now, I now it's in my brain, <laughs> yeah. but it's so good. It's yeah. so good. It's incredible. Yeah. It's such a good, like, it's a, it's a very New York movie without being, like, ostentatiously so, because it's yep. so much of, like, it's about, like, people who live in Queens, kind of, like, like it's, like, a good, honestly, it's a good working class, like, romantic comedy. Like, you just love it. It's so funny. I just really enjoy it. I, I, yeah. I love it so much, yeah. It's delightful. Yeah, I think that needs to be in heavier rotation in my my room <laughs> so it's like i mean yeah. even just as an italian american i love like yeah. that whole side of it i mean i just love the idea of tough people in love too like that whole thing is kind of interesting and i don't know it just gets better every time they're just daring each other to do it and it's just, it's so like the romance in it is just like really well done and believable and like there's a reason that like share like it, it's so good like i was just enamored with that movie it really makes me wish that share acted more i mean we just, we have a winona rider podcast on our network and this week's episode was mermaids and they're talking about how good Cher is in that too and I was like why isn't Cher in more stuff because she's so good in Moonstruck and she's like oh she's only done like eight movies or whatever like I know she's got the whole singing thing but like she's so good yeah we could go back and check out like the Sonny and Cher show I think that might be part of it because she was on television a lot and everything and I don't know I agree though she's amazing I mean like Silkwood came up during the that Oscars podcast stuff and that's a really great intro- like I think that's her first role and, and she's just really wonderful in it so I remember I remember uh, that film Mask the Rocky Dennis story was on a lot when I was a kid and she plays sort of a biker and her son has like a rare face disease where he's got like mm-hmm. big bones he's played by Eric, Eric Stoltz, Stoltz right? and yeah. I mean that movie was just on like a lot growing up and so like I was just yeah I just always thought like oh yeah she's just one of the she's just an actor but, you know I it was it is kind of weird how she just didn't do more but what she's done is great yes yeah. Well, she's she's in the forthcoming movie, Mamma Mia. Here we go again. <laughs> oh, that's right. She is. Yeah. Oh no, she plays grandma. She is back in theaters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I think now is unfortunately the time to talk about the reason that we are gathered here today to talk about <laughs> Two Eleven, hmm. a movie in which there are a hundred characters, and I understand who zero of them <laughs> no. are, how any of them know each other, the motivations for doing anything. Oh, really? I mean, like I thought the problem was the opposite that this was well just, there's, there's like, also that too so, i mean so simple and so bad obvious. on both sides of it like this is and i'm not exaggerating here i have the list of all the cage movies in terms of my order of preference on letterboxd this is not only the worst nicholas cage movie, my least favorite nicholas cage movie it's also the only movie that i've ever given a half star to that nicholas cage has been in i just cannot find anything of, con- of 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 enjoyment in here and i hope by the end of this episode there is something that i'm swayed to be like oh yeah that wasn't terrible but man oh man like this is rough I, I don't think I'm going to be able to sway you, but I have to just say on my end, I found something to merit a full star. There were moments in here, unintentionally, I was just bursting with laughter, and I mean, like, I don't enjoy saying this about the movie, but like, it started to feel like The Room at one point, and I really got into it then, and I was really but just focused on how bad it was playing. The problem of comparing it to The Room is that The Room was made with a level of passion and dedication that is found nowhere in this movie. <laughs> yeah. That'll that the give Room you, of is course, lovable yeah. because 
Tommy Wiseau cared so much about that movie, and you can feel it. Like, it's not well-made in any regard, but because he cared so much, there's a charm to it that is just admirable. Here, I can't find anybody... Like, there basically are multiple scenes, almost every scene, where it feels like someone is looking off-screen at a piece of paper, like cue cards, (laughs) or they're, like, saying, line, Mm -hmm. line... Mm -hmm. Like, there's the conversation at the end where Cage goes to the trailer and he's talking to his superior or whatever, Mm -hmm. and it is maybe the worst acting I have seen in a movie (laughs) in forever. Like, maybe genuinely, not exaggeration, maybe the worst acting I've ever seen in a movie. The the what took you so long freak out? Yes, that scene. (laughs) My son is dead. He's dead. He has a child on the way. What took you so long? (laughs) I wrote that down because I was like, good God. Bad. Bad. Okay, so Walt... Yes. What did you think of 211? Is there stuff that's redeemable here? Which of the five... I guess this would be the recession, right? This would fall into oh, the recession? No. This movie will not make any money. It will not be allowed within a 40-mile radius of a, of a cinema. This was a kind of movie that like MoviePass was invented for and yet will not save. <laughs> it's sort of like to kind of run down the plot for viewers who haven't rushed over to Amazon and shelled down their 599. It's essentially what Ugh. if love actually was about hostages instead of Christmas. There are 17 different <laughs> plot lines. They involve 40 not different a bad people. Call. I wrote down just like the separate subplots that went on, and here's what I got. I got War Profiteer Investigated by Interpol. Solid 15-minute chunk to kick off the picture. Never yep. addressed again. <laughs> yep. There's just a woman with an accent in a small Massachusetts town for the rest of the picture. Yeah, Miss Interpol. Mm-hmm. Yep. But she's uh, very pretty, so I guess that's maybe why she's there. But she's very hard to understand, so I... Also- why, why wasn't she ADR'd like 50% of the rest of this <laughs> cast know. was? But. But the reason that this movie gets at least more than half a star for me is because the writers did not hook her up with Nick Cage, which I was extremely worried was going to happen after the first <laughs> So the second plot is uh, Nick Cage is a is a local cop with one day left on the job and a son-in-law who just uh, or, or a son who just has a child on the way. Yeah. The third plot is a bunch of goons try to rob a bank because money that they're owed is in the bank, which is not how bank robberies are typically. <laughs> yeah, they're like contractors from Afghanistan mercenaries, and yeah, they're, they're after their merc- money. There's a subplot in a hospital for the mother of somebody. Uh, oh, that's the ride-along kids. Mom. Oh, we're so getting that's there. That's the mom of the kid riding along in Cage's cop car the whole movie. Which is our fifth subplot because apparently you need another. Like, all of these individually, like, if you were just like, what if there was a heist movie where the kid's riding along and he has to videotape it on his cell phone? That's a cool pitch. What if there's a movie where a bunch of mercs try to take back their money that's in a small town bank? That's a good pitch. What do you t- tell a story of a town as they react to a devastating bank robbery? Uh, that's a good pitch. This is like three to five different movies in one. <laughs> hilariously, only eight. 84 minute long package. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what's amazing. It, it flies by, but it's so no, boring. No, fl- flies by is the no, wrong no, I'm word. saying, okay, so it's very short, but it, it, <laughs> it is better, so better. boring and it yes. feels twice as long. Like, there's a, the shootout is most of the movie and it could not have kept me awake. You know, like the banging of the guns, like, put me to sleep. It was, it was incredible. This movie is based on real events. Okay, yeah, but what but yeah. <laughs> type of real events? Is that like a kid... Oh, here's what I think. A kid okay. went on 
a ride along once. Like that is the event that they took, and then they no. crafted everything. No. You see, so it's the bank robbery. Yes. So the Get film was inspired by a real bank robbery that happened in Los Angeles in 1997, referred to as the Battle of North Hollywood or the North Hollywood Shootout. Whoa. The shootout was an armed confrontation between two heavily armed bank robbers and the LAPD. It's like heat. Exactly. It's exactly yeah. like heat. It's literally heat. <laughs> yeah. That, that. In the end, perpetrators were killed, 12 police officers and 8 civilians were injured, and numerous vehicles and property destroyed by the nearly 2,000 rounds of ammunition fired by the robbers and police. So it feels like, and there's a whole like LA Times right up, like this is a big thing that happened. It's so it feels deal. like this guy, York Shackleton, which if you noticed, the film is based on a screenplay yep. by York Shackleton. So it's not like, uh, you know, it's based on a previous screenplay, which I had, I, I didn't realize until I saw David Ehrlich's review on Letterboxd, where he calls that a point of attribution that doubles as a brutal self-own. Where it's just so perfect, just like, oh, this is garbage. It's based on a screenplay that the same guy wrote. Like, it's just, what is happening here? So it's like this guy, the director, York Shackelford, heard this story and was like, cool, let me make a movie where, you know, armed military guys rob a bank and shoot a bunch of people. And now it's based on true events, I guess? <laughs> and he it's also like, was like, I'm going to turn it into, like, Crash 2 in the meantime. Ugh. like, yeah. And it's going to be uh, the most R-rated Hallmark movie you've ever seen. It's based on true events the same way that, like, the movie Avatar is based on true events, where definitely a lot of white people murdered Native Americans when they invaded their space. But, like, it's not actually an adaptation of any event. Right. Like, that's not yeah. what went down in NoHo. Like, can we briefly go into... Why is this movie called 211? That is an I'm excellent guessing, question. I, I don't know, but I'm guessing 211 is cop code for bank robbery? Okay, you're close, because here's what's up. 211 is the California Penal Code section defining robbery. I looked up before coming oh my on God. the podcast. But here's the best part. This film takes place in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you for clarifying that, because I saw a, a Louisiana license plate at one oh. point. Well, well so the reason you know it takes place in Massachusetts is because when that nerdy guy who's transferring some oh, unknown the very, funds very beginning. at the beginning of the movie, yeah. they're like, where's the money? He's like, it's in banks all over. And they're like, like what banks? And he names the most obscure <laughs> small town state, like credit union in the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts. And they're like, cool, buy and shoot him. And then they go there? Yeah. And one of those guys is Weston Cage. Yeah! Which blew my mind. Uh, I knew he was in this movie, but he is a pretty huge, scary-looking dude in this movie. I mean, and the resemblance is there, too. I think it definitely looks like Cage's son. But I have no idea what he's doing as a character, by any means. (laughs) Well, he's trying to kill So here's the most remarkable thing to me, is that after Cage essentially leaves the shootout, and then he goes back, but after he leaves the shootout, I'm like oh, right, the movie still wants me to care about what happens in this shootout. Like, I had zero stakes involved in any of this, except for Cage's really cliche-heavy, cliche-ridden, cliche-filled backstory. Well, it wants you to care about the ride-along kid, because, like, the kid, he gets bullied in school. This is his little plot thread. He's bullied in school, and he actually stands up for himself, but that's right when the teacher comes in, and they think that he's the bad kid, so he has to either go on a ride-along. The principal's like, he's got two choices. He's going to be expelled, or he goes on this ride-along idea I just came up with out of the blue. (laughs) You know, like, those are your two choices. And the mom's like, damn, I can't do anything about this. When he gets stuck in the shootout, 
that's who you're supposed to care about. You're like, is, is Cage going to survive rescuing this kid? Which leads to my favorite scene of the entire movie. I just want to get this out here now. Yeah. When the kid is in sort of that SUV and he takes the battery out of oh, a yep, doll. Yep, yep, and yep, he yep. fucking charges his cell phone with it through like movie magic wire wizardry. <laughs> I lost yep. my mind. That's when I sort of switched and the movie broke me and I was like, all right, I just can't stop laughing from this point. So what's super weird is that Joe and I just watched Running Wild with Bear Grylls, the pilot episode, because Zac Efron was in that. And in that episode, Bear Grylls shows you how to start fires using a battery and a piece of chewing gum, like a wrap, a chewing gum wrapper. <laughs> of course. Yeah, so I'm yeah. like, in all these things I'm watching this week, they're just using batteries in like weird, cool ways. Like I just, this is a thing in things now, I guess. But but that's possible. Like there's no way this was possible whatsoever hey man, like that you don't know you don't know i mean i gotta we need a new segment where we like myth bust stuff that we see Ooh, in cage films <laughs> my very strong belief is that this movie was directed and written and probably acted in by people who literally were still using the motorola razor because it doesn't really seem to <laughs> understand how the modern like smartphone works like there's scenes where they're like shooting a video on a smartphone and then they go in they're holding the phone vertically but the video is like crisp horizontal you can tell it was like yep, a second yep. take and then like moments later it switches to vertical video again it's just like it seems like a film but like the, the mecha- like i i've never tried to charge my iphone off of like, like it just seems like a movie where people were pretty unfamiliar with like the laws of how cell phones typically worked and i think like the law in general too like the idea yes. that the kid is like filming these cops like pull a gun on a bum outside like a 7-Eleven yeah. or something like that and and Cage like sees him and doesn't say doesn't say like even stop recording he waits till he gets in the car and he's like give me that phone you know he's like oh, yeah, rascal you can't be like filming us all day the weirdest thing about that is that it feels like the movie wants to have a kind of commentary on like Black Lives Matter like it just dips like mm-hmm. enough of a toe in that water to be like is this going that way and they're like just kidding we don't have anything of consequence <laughs> this movie no we're gonna take that we're literally taking the phone away from the kid and nothing matters anymore it would be an interesting like you see like the, what's that movie uh john cho's coming out with that's basically entirely told oh, through yeah. his looking laptop, for his right? daughter mm-hmm. yeah that, that's a cool choice whether it works or not who the hell knows we'll figure it out in a few months but like if this movie was like we're gonna tell the story of this shootout as told by the kid on a ride-along like pseudo cloverfield style that would have been like a cool idea they did not go with that idea they went with a weird prologue uh, a, a solid Act two that is totally incomprehensible, medically speaking, and then just Act three kind of finishing out weird. <laughs> like, yeah, this is total standard, you know. Like by the book, I feel like it's just a bank heist film. It's just a, ro- it's just a very bad robbery film, you know. It's just robbers go to rob the place, cops show up, there's a shootout, and then the movie ends. Like, right? I don't know. There's just nothing spectacular whatsoever going on. It's about as basic, I feel like, as you could possibly get. It's just super predictable. For me, what ended up happening was I liked at one point that like it was so predictable, <laughs> like yeah. just that you could call everything that was going to happen at one point. I don't know. That just kept me engaged because I needed to <laughs> find something to keep me engaged. You know. You know what really bothered me toward the end here is that in this movie, Cage has a daughter. His daughter's husband is his partner, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if it's his always partner or just for today or whatever, but. There's really no time spent between him and the daughter. Like, at the very end, they have, like, a scene together. I also don't want to gloss over the fact that this movie ends on a fade to black, which I don't know <laughs> if I've ever seen that. Like, it's just Cage walking toward the camera, and the movie fades to black. I'm like, what is happening? But anyway, we don't have a lot of 
Cage as dad. We have Cage here as a widower, which is kind of cool that he's not over the death of his wife, who died several years ago from, like, cancer, I think. Mm -hmm. And we have, like, these interesting family elements that we've been sort of dying for to see him do in movies, and this movie could not give a shit about what any (laughs) of that means. They're just like, oh, we got Cage and daughter, let's not have them interact almost at all like let's not have anything matter it's about him and the son-in-law but like it's only because of the son-in-law because of the relationship with the daughter but like that doesn't like nothing adds up to anything of like emotional merit it's all totally squandered like they're they're even i think what they're trying to do is between cage and the ride-along kid is establish cage realizing he's been sort of a neglected a neglecting father or something you know like oh like through this kid i'm gonna learn that i need to reconnect with my daughter nope like that isn't any of that whatsoever (laughs) like all we really learn is that cage is a good listener like he listens to the little kid and gets his side of the story and then he's like all right i got your back kid but yeah no all the good stuff here is squandered like kate you have cage in your movie and you have like kind of a interesting backstory going on and all we get is like a shot of him at the kitchen table like staring into space or him just like driving along staring into space like this just he's not using any of that like you know what i'm saying like it's not it doesn't feel like it's even part of the movie. So, I uh, listen, I don't know if I'm going to rewatch this to actually determine if this is true, but I think <laughs> there's a pretty good chance that Sophie Skelton, who plays his daughter, and Nicolas Cage were never in the same room together because hmm. they have a conversation over the phone, and that's the first time that they ever speak uh, in years, right? And then the epilogue, I was watching that, and that was extremely obviously filmed when none of the people were in the same room. Yep. The kids standing, like all the shots are all tied in, and like the shots are like over, like over the back of a of a stand-in when it's talking to Cage, and it's like like it could not be more obvious that these shots took place when the actors were actually not in the same room, or potentially even on the same stage, or even on the same set. Like the set might actually be totally different. So I think that there's actually a solid shot that the emotional journey that Nicolas Cage goes on in this picture, wherein he reconnects with his daughter, involves Nicolas Cage never actually connecting with this daughter. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That that ending was bizarre too. I Man, he's just like, "Hey, you got your camera? I want to make some new memories or something." Like it was I, just. I hold that. on, no, no, no. I, I wrote down the quotes because they are. It's, it's, it's the it's the so most. Of, the hell was <laughs> he saying? He says first he walks into the house and they say, "Surprise! It's your birthday." And he says, "There's people in my house. How did you get in?" <laughs> and then his daughter is like, "Oh, just come kiss your granddaughter." Which this is also the reveal that the, the son-in-law did not die that right. day; that he survived. That this is the big like emotional moment. Like, oh, yeah. he made it. We're all happy. We're here together. He survived. He survived his small leg wound. Yeah, yes. like his unconvincing leg wound. That was a flesh wound at most, and he's like, I'm dying, kid. You gotta film, I'm gonna talk to my wife from beyond the grave. You gotta film me. I'm gonna die. I'm like, dude, relax. (laughs) She says, come kiss your granddaughter, and then he's starting to walk over, and he says, hey, Kenny, to the kid who's a ride-along, which, why is he there? Don't know. Hey, Kenny, where's that phone you're always screwing around with? I want to take some new pics. Fade to black. The end. It's a modern, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's the best way to end a movie. <laughs> Where's that phone?
phone you always have. I want to take some new pics. <laughs> oh my god. Unbelievable. But, I mean, I did see it, so I have to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about the Tommy Wiseau angle, that's the scene that I'm just like, oh wait, no, you might have a point here. I mean, I'm telling you, if you need to, if you're ever stuck rewatching it, there's an angle to try and reapproach this from. That's all I'm saying. Like, there's a shot that Nicolas Cage was emotionally acting against, like, tennis balls on a stick for the entire epilogue. (laughs) Well, so apparently this was the movie he injured his ankle on and they had to like... broke his ankle, yeah. broke his ankle? Okay, because there's a shot at the end where it looks like he's sitting in the uh, ambulance completely miserable with this look on his face like it's the last place he wants to be. I don't think he's acting. I think it's like real. (laughs) Um, And he's got like a bandage on his leg. So I wonder if they like stole that shot the night of the injury or something and he was just like, oh, I'm in like a place that the character would be roll it roll it or something like that or anything but yeah but yeah so like i don't know it's just this whole production was fraught with disaster i guess from the start so the one of the only bits of trivia on imdb about this is that nicholas cage wanted to produce this movie when he first read the script in 2014 the script that this was adapted from i guess i don't know Okay. But he read a script in, like four years ago. Was like, yeah, I want to make that, and then it took four years to make this. Yeah, wow, that's a His bummer. Schedule. It takes four years to make eighty-six minutes, including credits. Oh my god, that's incredible. <laughs> well, in the meantime, he was shooting like twenty movies too. Yeah. you know, within yes. the last like four years. I don't know if you guys read the IMDb quote-unquote summary of this, but it says <laughs> this is it. Like this is exactly verbatim how it's written: bank heist movie. In the vein of End of Watch meets Black Hawk Down. No, what? no. Dude, That's a sentence that makes no sense. End of yeah. Watch is a great movie. Watch that instead of this. One of the, probably the best cop movies for sure in the last like five or ten years. And one of the best maybe overall movies in the last five or ten years. Like End of Watch is so good. Consider what you want about David Ayer maybe stealing script ideas or not giving credit or whatever, whatever. of making Suicide Enya Squad. and Gyllenhaal are great in that. So. Yes, but <laughs> End of Watch is awesome. To compare this to that is, whoo! That's a, that's a choice. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's shooting their shot. That's what that is like. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like, I guess, you know, originally if this script read closer to something like Heat, I mean, there hasn't really yeah. been a heat in a couple of years that's hit. I mean, there's a there was some heist movie, I think, a few months ago that kind of bombed, or I don't know, I remember something, maybe with like a Josh Hartnett in there somewhere. I can't remember for sure. But like, you know, there hasn't really been a heat. So like, I could see Cage being like the De Niro or something in heat, or even the Pacino. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe he's like, oh, I'll be like the grizzled detective that takes down the bank robbers. And then it morphs into what we get you know sometimes eyes are bigger than our stomach <laughs> he doesn't seem super enthusiastic about playing old and grizzled at this point which is interesting for like as far as the career kind of goes it seems like he's a little bit more reluctant to really lean into that age you know well when he did that in snowden and we thought it was great right. like we don't necessarily love the movie snowden but i think him as that like wise old professorial guy sort of the older version of proto snowden was great he still wants to be that leading man yeah. even though he's not and I, I it hurts me to say that because we love him and we want him to still be a leading man but we also would love to see him do kind of what keanu did and sort of fall to the background for a couple of movies and do a weird sort of intense character like keanu did in the neon demon or in the bad batch like be the, like the ultimate character actor in like better movies and then when the time comes be you know the leading man in another thing because there's there's movies mm-hmm. you can be a leading man and you don't have to be a leading man in every movie yeah well, lots of folks have done that like i mean it's not an easy i think a lot of what you see when you look at 
Cage's career is that he's not making movie choices and job decisions for tactical reasons. A lot of actors do movies for tactical reasons. They want to position themselves for something. They want to pay their dues in one direction. They want to kind of – they have an idea of what they're, where they want to be in 10 years, and they take step-by-step step to yep. take roles that get them there. Cage does not do that. Cage, I believe, very, very strongly loves his job. He loves acting. He loves the variety of it and is very much willing to kind of have an unexamined route to what he wants to do with it. And I think that that hurts him at times, you know? It does sort of feel like he's flying by the seat of his pants a lot of the time. Like, Mm -hmm. I almost wish that he had... Like, I admire, like we were talking earlier, I admire that he's not doing franchises, but I sort of wish he had some kind of, like, way to ground himself as opposed to just... Because, like, we really, truly don't know what we're getting with any of these movies. Yeah. Like, they are so scattered and so all over the place that you have a movie like Mandy, which I have not seen yet, which we've not, we've not covered yet, which was going to be this summer, I think, which, for all intents and purposes, is amazing, and that's great. But then you have a movie like this, which is just unwatchable. Then you have a movie like Looking Glass that isn't good, but is also fun, so it sort of falls in between. Like, it's just, it's so, yeah. it's exciting that we don't know what we're going to get, but it's also <laughs> frustrating when we look forward to a movie for two months, and then we get it, and we're like, oh, this is it? Yeah, yeah it would be, I, I think what would be interesting would sort of be a combination of Cage playing the background in larger franchises. So, like, he doesn't necessarily start and then continue one, like National Treasure 3, 4, 5 or anything, but, like, right. sneak him into a Planet of the Apes movie as, like, a general. You know, like what they do with right, Woody yeah. Harrelson for the last the five Harrelson, or six years. Like, sneak him, yeah. yeah, like, put him in a franchise after it's already rolling to sort of keep the steam there, to, to, like, maybe reignite some of the spark or something and get it rolling again, and then he can, you know, get killed off or dip out or, or whatever. But then, in that way, you know, he shows up, he reminds the general public <laughs> that he's still around, that he's still a hot commodity and he's got a lot to offer and that he could also fit and play nice with Hollywood and then that might draw them over to some of his you know more eclectic sort of lesser known works and stuff and he can go also make stuff like this if he needs to but yeah that that would be ideal it's on my brain only because uh, the new Mission Impossible movie is coming out this summer but Tom Cruise is like a year or two older than Nicolas Cage and what Tom Cruise decided to do like 10 years ago was move into the Jack Reacher franchise because the character of Jack Reacher is older in the books and it's the kind of character that even if he can't always be doing these Mission Impossible movies or or even if he makes an attempt on a movie like The Mummy and it doesn't work out, the Jack Reacher role is something that he can return to ideally through the rest of his, like, like where many actors would be pushed towards retirement, right? Cage doesn't have that kind of home and he, he doesn't have that kind of plan. You know, like he doesn't have the, okay, I'm going to make one National Treasure movie every three years, or I'm going to dive in. And like, basically like the role that he played on like Sorcerer's Apprentice, I think had a lot of potential. And I think that like he had done enough work with be it the folks at Disney or, or otherwise that like, there's a world in which he does kids movies for a little while and plays that frenetic, fun to watch older figure that can hold people's attention of all ages kind of thing. Right. And I'm just interested in why he hasn't really kind of tried to secure that, you know? Because he's proven he doesn't have to. Yeah. But, like, why does he keep proving it? Yeah, no, he won. Like, the argument's yeah. over. Nick yeah. is the most versatile man in this business. Yeah. It, 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 we figured it out. But, like, at a certain point, <laughs> you always hope that, like, he has a little bit of something, the groundwork for, for what to kind of build off of, you know? Yeah. Like, looking at what he's got coming up this year, I guess, because there's, like, another four <laughs> or five. Yeah, I mean, up? we have Mandy, which is an original IP. We've got 
Red Squad, which I don't know anything about. We've got Between Worlds, which I don't know anything about. We've got Xander, which I don't know anything about. We've got Primal, which is his like you know, Noah's Ark movie about. or something. It's something about crazy animals on a boat, I think. We've got a score to settle, which I don't know anything about. And then we've got Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which is he plays part of a franchise, but it's just him being Superman. So it's like he's Finally. gonna he's gonna record like five lines and then mm-hmm. call it like I'm call, like that's what that is. Which I don't but mind. Perfect. Don't get me wrong, but like yeah. I grew up on Teen Titans. I like love the IP, so I'm very happy that he's getting his, his final Superman role. These are movies that if you're saying to someone who like is not into Nicolas Cage at all, like we are, you're like, oh, I'm gonna go see, but I'm gonna I'm gonna watch Between Worlds. So like, like nobody's heard of these movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like people don't like, and they're all like, I love that he's sort of giving no name directors like a chance like to get distribution or whatever. That he's willing to apparently say yes to anything that tickles his fancy but at the same time like where's the pattern like is there a pattern or is it just like whatever he gets his hands on and just if they film in bulgaria or they film in new orleans or they film somewhere he wants to be for six weeks or two months or three months or whatever like what makes him say yes as opposed to like what does he turn down right he's got doesn't he have like the crudes two in the chamber down the line something like yes Uh yeah that's coming Mm -hmm. so like that's got potential i don't know i think he's interesting when it kind of comes to like there's a world in which like he's using his career as like he can travel to cool places and take interesting parts and be challenged but i just like i i like him a lot when he's taking risks and it feels like taking risks is easier when you're not in constant peril of not knowing who you are right and i think that this movie it doesn't make a ton of sense like why he spent four years making this project happen i don't understand you know? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think part of it I see is he's just like a gamble almost. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's just sort of like pulling the slot machine and seeing what comes out. Sometimes, like you never really know a hundred percent how a movie's going to turn out. And part of me sometimes thinks that he's just going for a record too, where it's just like, yeah. can I, you know, how much can I work in a year? There's all these factors that we're not really privy to, you know, so the best we could sort of do is this speculation, which is fun to do and insightful and stuff, but like I just wish I could get him face to face one day and really sort of pick his brain hard about this and uh, get like, you know, the actual answer from the horse's mouth sometime. At the same time, like, if we can't figure it out, <laughs> yeah, can anybody... Can't. Yeah. And is that can the he? point then? You know what I mean? Like, can he just be the guy who is like that? Like, why? Yeah, just let's... I wish we could sort of have more people like that that don't need these large franchises to, you know, rely on eating, right? Like, it doesn't... I don't know. Or maybe he is doing it for the food sometimes. But I'm just saying, like, it's refreshing at least that he's out there and he's not in, like, Six National Treasures or something. Like, he's not a redundant guy. Like, I don't feel like... You know, I never get tired of him. And I don't want to ever get tired of him. And so I kind of like his idea of not sticking with a character for too long and getting bored with it and everything because that's I don't want to get bored with him either. And so, like, that's a risky thing. It's like, keep doing this other stuff, but, like, it's not always great, <laughs> you know? And he's not always great in it, but I think I'd rather have him doing that than uh, some more mainstream things. Yeah. All I know is I think since the last time we recorded, he has agreed to be in Cyan uh, Sono or Cheyenne Sono's upcoming movie Prisoners of the Ghostland. Yes. And I don't know if you guys know who this guy is, but he's a Japanese director who directed Tokyo Tribe, which is a rap battle musical samurai... I don't even know how to describe it. It's wonderful. And then there's also Why Don't You Play in Hell, which is great. Like, this guy is bananas. And the fact that he's making his first English-language movie with Nicolas Cage at the forefront, it's like, it's 
perfect. Like, it's everything I want in a movie. So even if we can't understand it, if he's able to make, like, crazy choices like that, like, I'm on board. Just, like, not this movie. Not this movie again. <laughs> like, I think he's got taste, is the thing. It, it's just it doesn't always come out. Uh, so I sent you guys a link, because I was just doing a little bit of research beforehand on exactly who made this movie. Oh, right. Yes, 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 so yes. I f- so Momentum Pictures is the is the studio that produced it. And I, like, went to their site to find out what else they had made, and literally every movie here kind of looks like a movie that would be mocked up on 30 Rock. Like, a movie that doesn't actually exist, but they kind of came up with it like ed helms plays a uh, studio audience member who's paid to clap at stuff daniel radcliffe has a <laughs> uh, a movie where he smuggles cocaine a lesser baldwin is involved in a movie here it's just a lot of like not even b movies but like d movies and it's just like they have a jake lamada movie which i don't oh, know right. if you guys know about like raging bull but mm-hmm. the idea is like this the kind of definitive take on the career of jake lamada was handled <laughs> at a recent point in history i don't know what paul sorvino is going to add that previous generation's Generally speaking, it seems like the imprint that this group works with is really just like, well, we can get you distribution. Uh, we can find a way to get people to maybe pay some for some stuff on Amazon. And all of it really does seem to be star-based. Like, it's definitely like, oh, Heather Graham wanted to make a movie, and her name, it might not, like, open a movie in a cinema, but, like, it'll get something on Amazon, or, or you can flip it onto one of the myriad streaming services that are, like, I, I, like Goon, The Last of the Enforcers, perfect example. That thing went to Netflix. It's exactly what they want to buy. It's based on a previous IP. It's got... What is it, Sean William Scott? Mm-hmm. Yep, and the sequel, and that movie is unwatchable. Like, the first Goon is so good, and, yeah. and Last of the Enforcers, I made it maybe eight minutes in, and I was like, oh no, I can't do this at all. It's like, take, let's take a good thing and make it unwatchable, but just <laughs> tasty enough that people will pay for it, and then click on it, and then maybe watch it. Or even if they, they don't they don't watch it, it's fine. Like, as long as they like rent it, or they click on it on Netflix, or whatever, Momentum Pictures won, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like they're almost like the asylum, but for original yeah. properties, like instead of doing the cheesy knockoff of Transformers called like Transmorphers, like they're actually... <laughs> They're that bad, but it's like original materials that they're that they're peddling here and stuff. So like that's wow, that's rough. Yeah, like if you click on like their kids and family section, it's the stuff that like shows up on YouTube that gets weird and alt right if you leave it just running for a little bit too long. <laughs> like it's I think it's just like the fact that these companies exist and that they're able to kind of squeak out a living is like fascinating and I think that like I kind of hope that he gets out of this kind of area uh, like again these folks made Looking Glass which wasn't bad uh, mm-hmm. wasn't Mom great. and Dad wasn't... I think right Mom and Maybe. Dad yeah, Mom yeah. and Dad also that was which fun. That, was inter- that was fun that's what that was and, and like this kind of seems like the place definitely like I mean like you look at a place like Blumhouse and whatnot they definitely roll the dice on like sometimes slashery kind of movies and whatnot and if one of those hits that's like that pays for the rest of it you know so a lot of times it seems like that's the kind of gambles that they're taking here. I just got a real kick looking at this batch of stuff because it is 100% the movie poster in the back of the Entourage episode because <laughs> they don't want to. They seem to be taking like the Roger Corman method except like it doesn't work anymore because like that's half the industry whereas he was just like him back then and stuff. Yeah. But he was notorious for like, yeah, just make sure there's a poster and then go sort of shoot the movie. Yeah, these are Um, all posters. But that turned out to be like a breeding ground for really great talent. You know, Roger Corman knew his shit and what he was doing and and he had like a lot of great people come up under him and this is today and it's sort of we have this. This is sort of what I, you know what I'm saying? Like this is the level that we get. We get these distribution companies now. Oh well. Yeah, like there's a Steven Seagal movie on here called Asian Connection. Oh, and that's like a recent... (laughs) 
Steven Seagal yeah, movie too. It so, is. I mean, no, he's he was paid to make a movie recently. Apparently, is what I'm learning now. And this is after he was a sheriff on TV for some yeah, random it town in America that I watched a couple episodes of. But it's like I'm looking at the producers and I don't see Vladimir Putin, so I guess he must have gotten outside financing or something like that. But either way, <laughs> it's a fun one. I got a real kick out of just like these like weird Cormanesque. Yeah, because you're right, it's 100% the Cormanesque kind of uh, thing. But yeah, it's good times. But let's hope that some of his later work kind of gets a little bit out of this range. That's the thing, because like people ask, you know, when I say that I'm watching a new Nicolas Cage movie or whatever, and I'm like, "There's oh, there's supposed to be eight or nine that come out this year, people <laughs> assume, and I guess mostly right, rightly so, that they're mostly bad. But the way that I look at it, and maybe this is the wrong way to look at it, but like if there's one good one a year, if you get a good movie a year from like your favorite actor, like that's... Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a great success ratio. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. not good to have one of eight movies be good, but if you have one good movie that you really, really like each year from the same actor, like, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, considering, you know, most actors I like hardly put one movie out a year, you know? <laughs> like, yep. That's the thing. So, you know, the law of averages, maybe? I don't know, but I'm with you there, too. All I need is one. It's like, you know how, like, Wayne Gretzky has all the records in hockey just by virtue of, like, playing hockey for 20 years and being really good at it the whole time? Cage yep. is like that, only he wasn't good at it for the past couple of years, but he has enough <laughs> of it that he's, like, getting up. Like, again, if you look at the top 25 grossing act, like, he is head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to sheer production alone. Yeah. And he has to, like, I thought the Humanity Bureau was pretty good. Like, like I think that, like, he has movies that come out, like, you're right, like, one of them is, like, pretty solid every every year or so. I, I was... I was was a fan of Humanity Bureau. Oh I know God. Joey was not on my side with that, but yeah, Human Hunter, it was called overseas. So, I mean, that oh, no. just adds another level for me. That's great. <laughs> Maybe a better sports metaphor is that he's like the Bartolo Colon yes. of movies, that he's just never going to retire. You know, Bartolo Colon is 44 years old, still serviceable, still getting wins. He's not striking people out, but he's just getting outs and he's being productive. Like, yeah, a straight, or maybe he's like Ichiro, just like a straight, a steady stream of singles, still yeah. getting up there every day. You know, getting your at bats, staying in there, and just plugging away, slapping those hits the opposite way. So, who knows? To go one step further into the sports metaphors, uh, yeah. one of the one of the five thirty eight guys who I work with, Neil Payne, we were talking about a quarterback like Eli Manning, who the idea is like being a mediocre quarterback is like fine. Being a mediocre quarterback for twenty years means that you are a great quarterback because staying mediocre in the NFL means that you are outstanding that there's something else about you that is fundamentally incredible right yeah like your last name yeah exactly like, exactly like just remaining in the game is just like you know that's half of it yeah and kudos to cage for taking a lot of cool risks i think absolutely um do either of you have any other thoughts about 211 before we wrap up one star no i have nothing else to say about this movie <laughs> nor do i think i ever will again so it's Fair. gonna be it's gonna be i think we're gonna save this one for a while for the um revisited revisit yeah this is gonna have to be we're gonna need maybe a break. maybe maybe well, Nick Cage's son spends most of the movie shooting at his father, which is like, man, that kind of therapy is, oh. is expensive. <laughs> yeah, that, okay. I would. I just wanted, I guess, to mention that Weston real quick. Like, I, that is weird that he is in this movie a little bit, but like, I, I wish that they were more interactive in this film. Like you just said, he spends the movie shooting at his. At, they spend the movie shooting at each other. Like that yeah. is. Yep kind of weird to well, think he's about. he's literally the sniper. He's in the crosshairs. I would love to see them do a father-son thing sometime. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I don't know if Weston it wants to be an actor. It could have happened here. It could have been this movie. Yeah, he definitely could have been the yeah. other cop. He has the build. 
Yeah. He's an yeah. imposing guy. Like, I was not prepared for his presence, but I think he's got a very interesting thing. Like, he could do horror stuff, you know? Like, I don't know. He could do, like, action stuff. I'd like to see him do stuff. He's got a compelling face. And, and like, again, not, not to, like, denigrate the performance, but I think that he could have done a fine job as the other cop in this movie. I don't think that, like, th- that performance really was outstanding in a way that irreplaceable, you know? Like, uh, again, like I said, what if Love Actually was actually about a hostage situation? <laughs> Well, before we go, Walt, why don't you tell us, you were saying a little bit before we started here, you are no longer with 538, you started yeah. your own thing, so why don't you tell us about Numlock.news? Yeah, exactly. So um, I had been doing a daily morning newsletter for 538 for, for hundreds of issues, and I, I'm striking out on my own. We have a, like, a lot of subscribers exceeded my expectations, but it's really going very well. So if you're looking for like a daily morning briefing that keeps it light, keeps it interesting, really surfaces like cool numbers that you never knew about in the news and you're interested in checking it out maybe numlock news is for you so if you if anybody wants to subscribe you just go to the easy way to get there is just go to go to the url numlock.news that'll get you all hooked up when it comes to how to subscribe and whatnot and give you a chance to read some of the archives but that's what i'm setting up now and then probably towards the end of the summer uh i'm gonna get a a more another full-time gig doing more of this kind of stuff i hope (laughs) again writing about nick cage was very much on the like 538 bucket list yeah it had been a story that like we'd always like kind of casually thrown around after doing a taxonomy just like hey what if we did cage you know what what if we really went in on that and watched 80 movies i'm very <laughs> happy that they let me take a big swing on it and uh i'm such a big fan of that place so yeah well what i also do want to recommend i have not read the other ones yet but there are looks like probably about what would you say, 20 different Hollywood taxonomies? There's a bunch of different ones, right? There's at least a dozen. A lot of times we focused on one of my favorite other ones. Like, my two favorites are probably, besides the Cage one, probably the the Dwayne Johnson one, because I think that he's a fascinating figure that nobody, he's unparalleled, I think, in a way that the only other name that you can think of when you talk about him is Schwarzenegger, really. And then also Vin Diesel, who I know that we were talking about when it comes to just his auteur status on certain enormous, wonderful franchises. Uh, But there's, like, a good one on Meryl Streep. There's a good one on uh, a couple different like performers I'm a Hathaway stan so like uh, it basically if you're ever interested in really kind of diving in on anybody from Will Ferrell to Adam Sandler we had a lot of fun kind of diving in on those careers and what I love about them I, I've only read the cage one in full but is that the the way that you break them down the different categories are all named after the actor like cage is obviously all sort of cage related but then yeah. you have Dwayne Johnson you have The Rock and you have Dwayne The Rock Johnson or something it's like three different like very <laughs> yeah. different types of like, you know, even without reading the article, you sort of have a sense of what those mean. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I, I get that. So I really do uh, appreciate the, I mean, they're, they're obviously a lot of thought and effort put into these, but even like those little things just like sort of skimmy, like, oh, right, like that makes sense to my brain. Yeah, like with John, with Dwayne Johnson, like you can actually see how his credits evolved as his career grew. His initial credits were The Rock. If you watch the score, if you watch, not The Scorpion King, but The Mummy Returns, right? He is credited as The Rock, right? The Rundown credited as The Rock. And then uh, in the middle part of his career, he managed, just to become Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and now he's totally shed his kind of uh, appellation, and he's Dwayne Johnson. Uh, and I mean, like, yes, sure, you can look at Twitter and whatnot, but I think he clawed his way by working hard to earn the the credit that he now has. And I think that that if you can kind of look at how that happened over time, and how you can watch this man, like, if you watch Dwayne the Rock Johnson movies, you will watch a man learn how to act really well 
over yeah. the course of about a decade. And I, and like, I am always kind of like gobsmacked by that. Cause he's such a personality. That is what he learned in, in the wrestling space. But my God, he actually becomes a very good actor over the course of that. And I think that his career is a very fun one. Absolutely. And as we said, you know, the beginning of before we start recording, we have another podcast, the network too fast Too forever, where we talk, we talk about the fast and furious movies one a month forever. <laughs> Cannot wait to have you on there at some point, but when the rock, shows up when Dwayne Johnson shows up in five yeah and it's like oh things just got to another level and like mm-hmm. the, I, I understand why Vin Diesel might be upset that the rock like that he's not the biggest star in his franchise anymore but at the same time he made Vin Diesel because it's still Vin Diesel's franchise but the rock made it bigger than it ever was let him have a spin-off movie let like let us all enjoy Hobbs and Shaw and then Hobbs and Shaw yeah. 2 and Hobbs and Shaw 3 and Hobbs and Shaw 4 like I am so ready for all of those movies yeah. give me those movies share the wealth I think that they have a little bit of a because uh, again like I, I looked at both of their careers I watched all their movies and, and like the idea is like I can tell just creatively they work differently like Dwayne Johnson is absolutely he comes from the athlete space he's like he's scheduled he's regimented he shows up to work he does his time and then he leaves and it definitely seems like Diesel is much more of a he wants to explore he wants to get to the heart of the story he's willing to kind of take some time and go to his trailer and rewrite and, and basically write the story that he wants to write which I think is a little bit more free-flowing than than it is with Johnson and, and with two kinds of folks who are that caliber stars yeah I mean I think Fade of the Furious is, is a disappointing only because you can tell they were never in the same scene together you know right which that's the next one that we are covering. I, I only seen that once in theaters, and I wasn't super crazy about it. I'm a little worried, so we're gonna watch it shortly for Too Fast Too Forever. We're gonna watch it in a few months for Watch, watch the, the Throne. Throne. Then we're gonna watch it again a few months after that for Too Fast Too Forever again, and then Love every to. eight months after that <laughs> for a couple of years, and then every eight weeks after that. So we've got lots of Fate of the Furious <laughs> in my future. Well, there'll be more movies by then, so you'll have to move to like nine weeks, ten weeks, eleven weeks. Oh yeah, yeah, that. absolutely. But I mean, I'm just. I have to find a way to love these movies all unconditionally. And so far, through seven, I'm seven for seven. Like, I love the first seven now. It's just a matter of, can I love Fate of the Furious? We will find out when we record next week, and it releases July 1st. So thank you so much, Walt, for joining us. This was a delight. I'm so glad that you were able to write this piece and sort of pour your heart into this series and especially this one piece i just subscribed to your newsletter i'm looking forward to (laughs) getting these newsletters on a daily basis hopefully you can sneak in maybe just like once a month something about nicholas cage yeah no definitely Uh, i mean like i there's a very special place in my heart for guys who leave everything on the film and he's a guy who he always does the work he always shows up he's never phoning in a movie without question every other actor that i've kind of covered has has had a movie or two where they you know like uh, anthony hopkins has that thing where he writes nar on the top of some scripts he means no acting required you show up you act british you cast the check you call it a day Nicolas Cage has never done that once in his life, and I think that that's something that I think that we can all admire and aspire a little bit towards in our own, you know? Absolutely. Very, very well said. Well, so thank you. So go to numlock.news, sign up for Walt's newsletter, check out this entire Hollywood Taxonomy series, and follow him on Twitter at Walt Hickey. Is that right? Yeah, that's me. Uh, Absolutely. Don't be a stranger, anybody. I I spend too much time on the app as is, and I hope to... uh, (laughs) hang out with you guys again sometime soon this was really wonderful it's so yeah. nice to finally meet people who are as passionate about this guy and this thing that he's built in this career that he's constructed that's so unlike anything else and so it was a real pleasure to be on it thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for being oh, here so for much. all things 
Cage Club and all things Too Fast Too Forever and all of our 18 podcasts, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us if you want, mailbag at cageclub.me. If it's about this show, we will read it the next time that we have an episode, which might be Mandy, might be another one of another half dozen movies. I don't know what's coming next, but it's something. No, it's it's going to prob- be out soon. Yeah, I give it another month or two until we're back. So, <laughs> Is this four? Are we at four this year? We're at four, man, and it's only oh been six God. months. So yeah, we're not, we're not halfway is, through the year yet, so it crazy. is... Uh, I think the record was, what, five or six? So we're almost yeah. there. We're definitely getting Mandy this year. So, yep. I mean, let's go for the record. <laughs> oh, boy. So all of our episodes, this is 93. We've also got another 20 or so Cage Clubs Revisited. We've got 550 or something podcasts in total at cageclub.me. Go there. Everything's free to listen to. Subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. Cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Mailbag at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Walt Hickey. And we'll see you next time, whenever it is, whatever it is, on Cage Club. A whole score and seven beers ago. <laughs> Sitting on the front stoop, wonder what we gon' do, what the world come to, who you gonna run to? A little bit older and deeper in there, I'm on the robber press all day. Uh, you pay those bills and you get that ram. I'm on the robber press all day. Oh, I'm gonna go to bang, bang.